Hey, what's up? This is the Full Circle Music Show. This is Seth Mosley, and we thank you for being here with us again. Today we've got an awesome guest, Ben Stennis, country songwriter and producer. He's had cuts on Parmalee, Jason Aldean, High Valley, Ronnie Dunn, Justin Moore, Swan Brothers, Dallas Smith, and many others to be announced in the very near future. But Ben has a phenomenal story for us today. We're titling it From Obsession to Obsession, and you'll see what I mean by that. But there's a lot of really, really good info and inspiration for people maybe wanting to break into the music business, people wanting to become songwriters or artists. He's worn a lot of different hats, so he has a lot of wisdom to share. So stick around, take notes, listen up close on this one. This is one you're not going to just want to skip over. So, But before we jump into that, we have announced our first music production mastery course is up online and it is available for purchase. We walk you through the journey of a song from start to finish, exactly how we do the production of it. It's called Music Production Mastery. You can either go to musicproductionmastery.com or you can text 44222 and put the word produce and text it to 44222 and we'll send you info on that. So again, text produce, P-R-O-D-U-C-E to 44222 and we will send you info on that. So let's jump into the interview. We got Ben Stennis in the house. What's up, man? One of my favorite songwriters, favorite people actually. Thank you, sir. So thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy, busy man. No, dude, the... I'm, I'm stoked to be out here, man. I appreciate you having me up here in your sweet studio to do this. Yeah, man. So uh, why don't you just run us through your story a little bit? Where, where are you from? How'd you get into music? Man, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. Um, I'll give you the condensed version. My whole life from the time I was five years old on, I knew I wanted to be a stuntman. And as crazy as that sounds, all my friends, family knew I was going to go do stunts. Even in college, I would practice high falls. Wait, you're, you're saying stunt stunts, man? like movie stunts, like stunt like work, the like daredevil, thing. like high falls, car crashes, that kind of stuff. Like I legit, never that's knew literally that. what I was. That was my career path. I mean, for, <laughs> literally amazing. from the whole time <laughs> in acting. And so I would, I literally, I remember hiring a guy at a gym in Statesboro, Georgia, so that I could use the facility's gymnastics pads to take the pads outside and climb up this uh, tower and do high falls, like three and four story high falls to practice. We'd practice at night uh, after my shift at the bar getting hit by cars. This is honest truth. The last time we did it, I went through the windshield and I was like, well, I probably shouldn't do that again. But that's, again, I was 19 years old then. But man, I- I And all this is complete, you're not making any of this? No, this is, (laughs) dude, honestly, if you, anybody that knew me growing up, that's that's all I cared about doing. I would get, I remember going down dirt roads down to Statesboro, and uh, getting my friends to drag me like behind the bumper on a uh, rope. I just, I <laughs> thought I was just, just so consumed by stunt work. That's all wow. I wanted to do. And then I started a band in college and I was done, man. Wow. It literally was like that. A dude in my freshman year in college, I went to his dorm room one night after going out and I saw him on the bed and, you know, average looking dude, but had about five girls sitting around him. And I was like, teach me how to play guitar. <laughs> and so that literally, that's probably the worst reason to get into music. That's definitely the reason I got into music. And he started, he taught me some chords. And four months later, we had our first gig and it was horrendous. We had no business playing that show. And we got slightly better each show. And I just really fell in love with playing and writing and all that. That kind of got me launched and reset my mind career-wise which and got me to uh, move to Nashville right when I got out of college so 
you went from one form of inflicting harm on yourself yes to music which is music is more uh sort of the heart and the soul beat down yeah uh, with exactly all the nose and you're not good enough <laughs> stone work is like the physical beat down i i was gonna say i don't know which one is worse but i do and it's the music part with the yeah the dude you know it's such an emotional thing that we invest so much in our songs and you take them into you know say you take them into somebody and you're just sitting there like waiting for their awesome response and, and they kind of like shrug like eh, you know i don't know it doesn't feel like a hit to me and you're like you don't know anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> so man that that's crazy i want to hear more about this stunt thing <laughs> i know let's shift gears just talk about stunts yeah man. i just want to talk about stunts this whole man. show what what five minutes on this but sure. what got you into that were you the just into mo like movies and that kind of yeah, stuff i was super into movies but for some reason when i would watch movies all i cared about was like the car chase scenes the guys that were falling through the windows the guys that were set on fire and this was kind of back in the day before this is like in the i guess 90s so it was before all the cgi stuff had taken over and there was all the stuff you saw in the movies were still people doing those stunts and i just thought it was the coolest thing and so I would go outside. We had a second story window in my house and we had a tree near it. And I would jump from our second story window and the tree was just big enough to hold up my body weight, but it would bend and it would carry me down to the ground. And so I'd practice doing that of our second story window. Then I practiced <laughs> like setting mattresses outside and doing first story high falls on there. Um, what, what is a high fall? So basically a high fall, you know, in the movies, where they fall off the towers or the buildings or whatever. And you see them like flail on their arms. Yeah, yeah. And if, if you notice right before they land, which they usually cut away, the stunt person flips over on their back. So they turn, they, you have to have a lot of core strength, but you turn your body and you land on the pad on your back because you don't really want to land face first or sideways. You can get really hurt. So the trick is to land on your back and. And to have a nice pad underneath you. And, and mattresses on a first story window. First is not a nice, or second story is not a nice pad. I learned that quickly. And you don't hurt yourself. I mean, you do. I mean, those guys get banged up so much. I, I mean, they, you know, and again, you know, now so much of what you see in movies is, is computer generated and it's really cool, but it's, you know, we can all, we all see what's real and what's not. And yeah. it really was just falling in love with the, what those guys did. It's kind of like with music. I was always more interested at the end of a music video on CMT or GAC as to who wrote the song. And this was back mm -hmm. in, I'd sit in high school for hours, man, in front of uh, the television. And I'm trying to think of, I think we got GAC back in Augusta and probably CMT too, but whichever one I watched, I would sit there for hours at the football practice and just watch videos. Yeah. And I'd wait for the songwriters' names to come on. And I just loved country music and pop music growing up. This is long before I even thought I could ever have a career writing it. Hmm. Who'd you grow up listening to? What, what were some of your oh, man. influences? I would say like on the R&B side, um, my dad I always had like Otis Redding, like sad song and I've been loving you, like all that stuff, yeah. man. It's like dad had that and like Steppenwolf and CCR. I, so on that side of music, that's kind of what I grew up on. Then on country, man, I was definitely a 90s country child. I remember my brother came and had like a, a single of this guy named Garth Brooks song, Thunder Rolls. And yeah. I remember up in his, his girlfriend's uh, house in her bedroom he's like you gotta hear this song and put it like in a boom box and played it and I was just like who is this guy this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life and you know I think after that I just got so obsessed with country music so it was obviously Gar starting out but uh man Mark Chestnut Shenandoah Diamond Rio Restless Heart Black Hawk obsessed with Little Texas dude you name it man Doug Stone Doug Supernall all those cats from the 90s man is like that was kind of back in the day man and when it felt like it was more about the voice 
and less about the look. Because if you look at these dudes, man, like mm. these look like guys that would come like dig, you know with the backhoe and dig a footer on your house, but also right. sing country song. These are just like normal yeah. middle America dudes back then, like Mark Chestnut and freaking Joe Diffie. None of those guys were supermodels. They didn't give a crud about having abs and you know biceps and all that stuff. Is like and they didn't care about their image as much. They cared about good country music, mm. and uh, so that's the crud I grew up on, man. And that was like all lyric based and dude you know you were in high school and you were relating to songs about people going through divorce and being broke and drinking problems even though you in reality at least in my life hadn't gone through that stuff i was too young to have gone through any of that stuff but you could still feel that with other people i think that's what i what drew me into country music is the story of it yeah so have there been any of those guys that you grew up listening to that you've been able to kind of work with or write with since you moved to Nashville? Yeah, man. Oddly enough, like one of my favorites, and it's maybe a little more an obscure reference, is a guy named Paul Brandt. I loved Paul Brandt, man. He had a killer song, uh, a couple that were, I think, either number ones or top tens, like a song called My Heart Has a History, and then a song called, I, it's either called I Will or I Do, I'm trying to remember. But I got a chance with Brad Rimple yeah. from High Valley, brought me in on a ride with Paul, and this is a while back, and it was just a cool experience, man, because it's like, I just grew up listen to those cats and same thing with like terry mcbride i love mcbride and the ride yeah. and uh terry and i've written a handful of times and just a great guy and my favorite thing writing with terry is he'll for about two hours usually it's easy to kind of shift him off into 90s country stories being on the road with <laughs> you know mcbride and the ride but like brooks and dunn because he uh terry played after mcbride and the ride in that he played bass for ronnie and kicks yeah. um for yeah. years and I, I i swear i think he had i think he had close to 20 something cuts or more with with brooks and dunn i think either 10 number ones wow. or 10 top tens, 10 singles at least of them. Yeah. Um, so I always love hearing those stories and those guys usually don't mind telling them, which is cool. Totally. Well, what, I mean, what is that experience like having kind of grown up listening to Paul Brandt and, and now you're writing songs with these dudes? Man, it's, uh, it's, it's so cool. I thought, and some of these experiences, like, and we just got to throw with Darius and got to go out and write with him uh, about a month ago, me and my boy Blake Bollinger. You know, and obviously I grew up listening to Hootie and the Blowfish. I mean, I think I was in maybe middle school or freshman in high school when, yeah. you know, they really blew up. And I think back then, had Ben Stennis back then gotten any of the opportunities he has now to write with these guys and kind of be with these artists, I'd have really wigged out and germed. But now it's like, you know, it's it's different now because this is our profession. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's super cool, but you don't you don't fan out though. You know what I mean? Right. It's uh you're it's it's because you kind of get in the room and you're writing. You're like, okay, this is a normal dude, man. He's he's out here doing his thing. He's got a family. He wants to write a killer song, and it kind of takes some of the pressure off you a little bit. Um, yeah. As well. So they're so they've been pretty disarming, I guess, in that way. Yeah, but in a very cool way, very yeah. um a very uh relaxed way. I definitely have gone into rights nervous sometimes writing with some of these you know, artists and, you know, bigger writers and that kind of stuff. But pretty much, man, I'd say nine times out of 10, when you get in there, it's like, they're so laid back and cool and, you know, and, and it lets you just kind of relax and naturally do what you do with writing and not get all germy and like, you know, so you're not like writing a song while they're laying on a massage table and like getting pampered. No, <laughs> no, man, I've never had that experience, man. I, I honestly, like, I honestly love getting those opportunities to write with these artists and, because it's like, man, it's like they, they want to contribute just as much as I do. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I haven't had the experience of, and you hear about it when you're like, well, you know, you were in the room with an artist, you know, did they really help? And, you know, I, that, I think that generally comes maybe from, I don't know, man. I, I feel like a lot of times when people start knocking other people, it's maybe because 
they weren't on that particular trip or you know what I mean it's all right. kind of based on yeah and I've caught myself doing it too it's like it's based on you know you kind of find yourself there's envy and jealousy and that kind of stuff and mm. I find myself before knocking other people's things they had going on when in reality had I had a song on that record or written with that artist I would have totally been like oh man it's the greatest thing you've ever heard wow. and it's like we find you know in our business it's easy to get caught up in that world but i try to pray about it a lot of like you know i don't want to be envious i want to be happy for people mm. and i think it's like kind of staving off some of that that helps or whatever that's good so what was the impetus or when did you move to nashville when did you did you go to college here what what kind of brought you here um man i actually went to college at georgia southern down in statesboro i got a degree in business management and uh, I recorded a, a demo in Waycross, Georgia, and literally it was a trailer studio that hooked up to a truck. It was a mobile recording studio. This guy named Jim Bickerstaff. That sounds awesome. And, dude, it was great. And uh, <laughs> so he literally, I, I did like a five song, we didn't call them EPs back then, but you know, just a demo to sell at shows because I was still doing the artist thing back then before I had to put a bullet in that. And he's like, man, he told me one night, he's like, dude, he's like, if you want, if you really want to pursue this, he's like, you need to move to Nashville and you need to move and decide that you're never leaving till you're successful. And Jesus said basically never, never leaving. Yeah. And he said, that's the only way you're gonna be successful. Mm. And I remember thinking then, I knew then I was like, all right, well, I'll move to Nashville. And I, you know, I just started writing songs and all that crap. And they're horrendous, like they're terrible songs. And they're all probably at least like six minute ballads. It's great. And um <laughs> but, but uh, you know, he when he told me that, he's like, it's probably gonna take you. 10 years to get your first major cut. And I was uh -huh. like, man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I was like, I'll get up there and I'll do some writer nights. I'll get discovered and, you know, maybe a year in I'll have a record deal and blah, blah, blah. And man, dead gum if he wasn't right. Almost yeah. to the day, he, you know? Yeah. It was literally 10 years of being up here before I got my first uh, Jason Aldean cut. Wow. Yeah. So, and that, so I moved to Nashville in 2000 actually and started that whole grind of go getting a job, waiting tables. The first night I was in town, I played a midnight riders around at Douglas Corner Cafe. It was me, one other dude, and then Mervyn, who owns and runs the place. Yeah, at midnight, and I played one song. And <laughs> and I thought Inspiring. it was great. And there was no, literally, there was nobody there, man. It was yeah. like the sound, Mervyn running sound, and like one other dude that was like drinking beer and Perfect. not paying attention to my sweet ballad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then from then on, man, it just kind of started plugging away, put a bunch of years in the artist thing, and you know, and that kind of got me to where I am today. But man, I've, yeah, total of 16 years so far here in town. Wow. So walk through those 10 years. Cause I mean, when did you, I know you're married, you got kids sure. now. When, when along the lines did you meet your wife? When did you guys get married? Was she with you that whole time? Or? No, man, honestly, I, I was in a duo called Waycross. Um, probably the first seven or eight years I was up here. Yeah. Um, and I was really just committed to doing the artist thing. And we were doing shows and we were writing, but writing within just me and the dude I wrote with and just writing for us. And probably 2007, I think it was 2007, we got the opportunity to sign uh, like a little record dealist with uh, Dreamcatcher Records, which is Kenny Rogers' uh, label he had at the time. To me, I was like, okay, this is it. I've been here seven years and really seven years of really pursuing the artist thing, yeah. whatever that meant, which is basically a bunch of no's. Put a single out put a video out on CMT and all that and just thought maybe this is it maybe this is it this is what this is what God has for me right here this is what I've been working towards and man probably we just probably after about six or seven months the single being out we just couldn't man we just weren't getting any traction yeah. and it's kind of made sense after that after all the years of trying and getting close but not quite making it I was like all right you know maybe this is what God has for me hmm. and so kind of broke up the band thing in 2007 or 2008 I'm trying to remember and that was really when I started shifting towards writing 
full-time was about 2008 and writing for other people yeah. and probably about a year before that is when i met my wife when i was doing the whole way cross thing so yeah. um we've actually been gosh together about 10 or 11 years but married about nine years so she's been through a lot of that a few years of a couple years of the artist thing yeah. and then yeah all the grinding stuff. it for grinding it for another few before you got your jason aldean cut sure so i mean how, how what what is it in those 10 years that kind of I mean, because are you waiting tables? Or are you working another job? How are you making the whole thing even work? Yeah, man, I waited tables for two years. I was miserable, and I think everybody should do it because it shows you, it shows you how you should treat people. Because mm. people do, are not generally nice to waiters and kind of treat you like second class citizens. Other people are awesome, but I think everybody should do it so you can learn how to treat people. Yeah, um, then I started a car detailing business where I'd go to like people's business and houses. I had like a 60 gallon water tank in the back of my Jeep mm. and a pressure washer and I would do that. And then every night was literally, every night was either practicing my banjo or guitar or out at a writer's night or playing a show with Ted, the guys in Waycross with. And that was literally every night except for Sunday, we were doing either practicing or writing or doing a show or playing a writer's night. And that was pretty much that whole, close to that whole 10, first 10 years, you know, probably at least the first eight years of doing that and it's a very overwhelming grind yeah and that's not everybody's road that was my road some people come to town man and crush it start crushing a year or two in man that was god's road for me and i'm you know it is to grind it out man yeah. and um i've always just thought man if you really want to do it do whatever you have to do to be responsible and take care of your family but do what you have to do to still do your dream and to, to write and do whatever you have to do to still leave time to write. And that's if you're you know, getting up at three or four in the morning to work some job that you don't love, but it allows you to write during the day or you work during the day and you make sure you have writing appointments at night, mm. um, that kind of thing. That's good, that's good. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about the struggles that you've faced along the road to where you are now. What was that like when you got your first Jason Aldean cut? Dude, it was crazy. I was literally at the gym on the leg press doing leg presses a guy named ed williams who was my um i was in the process of signing a pub deal at uh bug music and uh, ed williams called me and he's like hey man i think you just got a jason aldean cut and i about dropped the the weights uh on my legs because you know <laughs> you know so many years and for that to be my first cut was it was me and uh thomas rett and um jaron boyer and this is all yeah. three of our first cut wow it, it was pretty overwhelming because man when you work so hard for something so long and you're told so many years no, 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 no. You know, this isn't good enough. Keep trying, that kind of stuff. And finally, to land one on that record, and that was a record that ended up going three times platinum. It was a My Kind of Party record and yeah. really, really set the stage and kind of was like the catalyst for like pushing everything that's kind of going on now. Even though that was six years ago, that was definitely the, the first thing that kind of started getting me going. I, let, you know, signed my first pub deal after that. I mean, honestly, that record was such a blessing. It, paid for my daughter to get born, helped us get a yeah. minivan, a down payment yeah. of a house, things that, that God knew that I needed. Um, mm -hmm. And he like, his timing was perfect because that song and the timing of it came at a time where we had, a, you know, medical bills and all kinds of things stacking up. And it was such a huge blessing to be on that wow. record and to actually make money and be able to pay some of that stuff off. Wow. You talked a little bit about how some people move to town and it seems like they're, you know, a year or two into it and they're just getting picked up. Getting sure. Everything's a yes, but... More often than not, I, I think a lot of people have that as a perception, but they don't even realize because we've been writing together for the last few years. I had no idea you were even here for eight years doing the artist thing before that. Yeah. So people just don't know the backstory. 
They don't. And it's weird. I kind of don't talk about it because in reality, man, most people don't. Most people only know me from probably the past four or five years, maybe yeah. even the past two or three. Because really, man, is like a lot of the stuff, like the singles that are out now and the cuts and stuff. That's only been over the past two to three years, and yeah. really this year and stuff. And so I actually don't mind that they don't know that I've been here this long. Well, that's what's really cool about it is it doesn't matter how many years of, and I'm not even going to call it failure because. I, you know, I, I had those seasons too of like, no, 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 no. And I don't, I don't call it failure. It's just, you know, you win or you learn. And as soon as you get your first cutter, as soon as you have your first big win, everybody like associates you with that. They don't sure. associate you with the previous 10 years. Of you don't exist anything. until that happens. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you're cool. Yeah. I was talking to my, my publisher this morning, actually, on the way in, and we have a discussion of like just how – when you start to have some success, all of a sudden people think your other songs are cool and all of a sudden you're funnier mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they want to write with you. And it's just interesting to kind of see some of that stuff. And it's, I mean, I'll play the game. I'm cool with it. I, but yeah. it's to go into it understanding, um, seeing that, knowing that side of the business too, man. It's like, it's just a reality of it as well, man. It's like, man, I, I'm not going to get upset because somebody didn't want to write with me two years ago all of a sudden wants to write with me. I totally understand why yeah. they've wanted to write with me two or three years ago and I haven't proven myself, you know? Yeah, yeah. And as far as those years, man, that, you know, like you said, like I said, I don't look at them as a failure either. I look at them as I wasn't ready, Yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of, there's hundreds and thousands of hours of preparation that I needed and I needed to learn and I'm still learning. And even after my first cut, I was so green, man, mm -hmm. going in and uh, riding over at Bug. And uh, it was definitely an education. They, you know, Sarah Johnson, Ed Williams, those guys over at Bug, man, it was, you know, they're, they were pretty rough on a lot of stuff that I brought in when I started there. And at the time, you're like, man, this is, why are they being so brutal? I'm, you know, but looking back now, even though we clashed, it's like, I get it. Like, they were, they were iron sharpens iron type thing. Yeah. They were, they were trying to build me into a better writer. And it's not a fun or easy process when you're told that's not good enough. You can do better. Listen to what's this record and tell me if your song's better than that. And listening to me like, crap, it's not, you know? Mm. Um, that process too, man, of like, even after you've had some cuts, realizing I'm still not good enough and I've still mm. got to get better. And yeah. having a publisher that's willing to, you know, kick you in the gut and heart punch you a little bit on your songs, or only, it, it, it sucks in the moment, but looking back, it's going to always make you better. Yeah. Well, that's a new angle. I we, we think of publishers a lot of the time as sort of being your cheerleader, your champion, or your, yeah, keep going, you know, keep you motivated, whatever. But often that doesn't serve writers well because they just are going to hear, yeah, you're awesome all the time. And it's, it's disillusionment. Well, especially when you're starting out, man, it's like, and I considered, I consider 2010, 2011, me starting out, even mm -hmm. though I'd been here doing the artist thing and writing for yourself is, is nothing like all of a sudden writing five days a week for, and trying to land cuts on other so artists. So that's, that's a great point. I, I'd love to talk on that. Sure. Go, what's, please, what's the difference there? Because a lot of people maybe listen to the show are still trying to kind of define, am I an artist? Am I a writer? Am I both? Am I, what are those two? Because it's two entirely different hats that you have to wear. Sure. Can you talk about what the difference is between you as an artist and then you having to learn new skills or traits as a, as, as a writer? Man, when I was doing the artist thing, I found out that I was a lot easier on myself on lyrics and I wasn't near as harsh on myself. And I didn't realize that until I got in the room with these great writers and you're like, oh, okay, so this song today 
with all the three or 400 riders that are in town that are signed, we're, our song today is going to have to beat out all of their submissions for this one record where there's maybe one or two spots for an outside song. And when you start looking at it like that, you can't just like settle for an okay line. And I'm not saying, I'm saying when you're out of the game and you're not say in, in the whole publishing world and all that, when you're kind of say you're in another little town here in America doing your thing with writing, don't be easy on yourself. I was very lenient on lyrics and melodies because like, okay, well, you know, I'm the artist. I can say this. People understand. It's like, in reality, man, it's like you need to be listening to like your competition somewhat. And as a, for me as a, as, as a writer, I didn't, I mean, as an artist, I didn't do that. As a writer, it was eye-opening seeing what I'm going to have to do to get songs cut on other people's records. Because as a writer, you have to be better than what that artist is writing with his co-writers that day. That makes sense. So... Talk a little bit about that. I mean, because I'm sure that's changed even in the last seven years, just in terms of artists cutting outside songs. Yeah, it's man, it's there. There's they're not as many. It doesn't seem like. Man, I'm still, um, I still think like the best song wins. I, I still feel that way. Because honestly, man, a lot of the songs we got cut this year, our Jason Aldean Kelsey Ballerini duet, that's an outside song. Our Justin Moore cut we just got on his new record, that's an outside song. On the, our Parmley cut, we got Parmley single, outside song. Our Ronnie Dunn single, currently outside song. So they do happen. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just a believer if it's a great song, I still think it wins. Now, that being said, on the Parmley record, I have another song on there that I co-wrote with Matt and Barry from Parmley, and I love it just as much. And I'll say our working relationship with High Valley. Mm -hmm. I truly think that had I not been co-writing with you and Brad for these records, I don't know what I would pitch for High Valley. Mm -hmm. For me, having Brad in the room and you in the room as a producer to kind of guide what works for that particular band yeah. really helps when you're writing the song. It's a massive advantage to have the artist in there saying, that's not what I would say. That's not how I would say it. So I think that aspect of it, man, is a tremendous advantage. Yeah. So taking off your artist hat, transitioning more into the career songwriter hat, what are some of the characteristics or traits that you've had to kind of learn or adapt to along the way? Man, the biggest thing for me, I'll just as far as there's nothing to do with like talent or anything like that, is the persistence, man. And I'm saying persistence on the idea of like, I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to give up, but also the persistence of, I'm going to get better at my instrument, I'm going to get better, tighter hooks, tighter melodies, that kind of persistence of always wanting to learn more. The other thing I would say, man, that I've had to like, kind of learn, man, is, and I've gotten into it about four years ago, was production, man. Mm. I mean, we have to, in our world now, man, as like writers, we have to be able to write hooks, melodies, build the tracks, the drums, I mean, what other parts do the vocals, comp them, tune them, mix? It's kind of a necessity now, man. And I, I kind of saw over the past years, probably five to seven years like you described, that's really where things have trended. And man, if you're complacent, you're going to get left behind. So a bunch yeah. of us started getting into that, that track world a handful of years ago. Um, and it's yeah. definitely paid off for the fact that you stay current, but you're also, when you're do, building the stuff, and you know, because dude, you, dude, you're one of the most ridiculous producers I've ever worked with. I, I sing your praises mm. on a weekly basis to my co-writers, <laughs> and it's like, that. we gotta freaking get in the room with Seth. It's and awesome. dude, I, I mean, every time you work, man, I'm like sitting behind you like, man, I've gotta get better. It's like, how the crud did he just build this ridiculously sick track and help write the song all in this period, and now we're doing vocals, and the tracks like sounds amazing, all within this one day period. I'm not there to your level yet, but I'm I'm working on it daily. But man, I think that end of it, of being willing to sit down and put the 
hundreds of hours into learning production mm. in your off time while you're not riding until the point where you're good enough to have a rig in your room and start doing tracks while you're there. Yeah. Because then you can really, really create something fresh that's you yeah. if you're actually the one producing the tracks and you're not just going into a session and saying, hey, guys, here's my iPhone work tape. Let's hear your interpretation over the next 30 to 40 minutes that we have to cut this one song. Right. And after you've just done a session before that and a session, and not to knock those guys, those guys are amazing. But I feel like if you want to have something unique, you kind of need to build it from the ground up. Yeah. Well, you, you just hit on a really big point that it's time for writing and this is one of the in my opinion one of the unfortunate parts about how the music business has changed is artists are touring so much nowadays because that's where they make their their living that's where they're where they're feeding their family that's they have to, yeah that's where they're you know getting paid because record sales and streaming and all all of it you know so they're touring so much so they have such limited time so they're only going to write with a handful of writers and those handful of writers better be able to deliver in a two-hour or three-hour window. Yeah. So being able to have either A, tracks built, or B, be able to build the track as you're going is pretty important. Man, I'd say having them built. I mean, yeah. just recently, you know, doing this and, you know, I'll just bring up Darius because we were just out with him. And Blake Bollinger, who's a co-writer of mine, you know, he's, man, I love Blake, crazy talented producer, just programmed all the stuff on Jason Aldean's new record, has a song on there, mm. has the Promise song with me, the Justin Moore. I mean, just, he's one of the guys that I've kind of, over the past four or five years, we were like, hey man, let's build a catalog together. But anyway, yeah. that all pushed that aside. We probably spent, before our Darius right, we knew we were going out with him two days out in St. Louis. It was him, Michael Ray, and Dan and Shay. And we knew we were going to have a window of two hours maybe to write with him. And so we had basically three or four tracks ready Mm-hmm. and kept it all in the MIDI so we could adjust keys within the ride if we needed to, but had them like ready to go, even like gain staging, some mi- a little bit of mix. And so when we put them through those monitors, little portable rig we brought on his bus, yeah. we want them to be excited and hear that, yeah. but also have hooks and some lyrics and some verses and some chorus ideas already hashed out yeah. and to utilize your time. And I think those guys appreciate that too, because man, they've got such a short window Man, you know, they've got to go on stage in a few hours. You know, they don't have six or seven hours to, hey, man, you know, let's bust out a guitar and let's just start from scratch. I mean, some of the guys do, man. It's like, but right. my experience has been it's better to be go in prepared. And it makes it makes it makes them a lot more eager to work with you as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it takes away some of the awkwardness of not knowing these people yet when you're like, hey, here's four different things. Let's choose something if you love any of these. And if you don't, we'll start from scratch. Yeah. But if you're fired up about any of these, and we ended up writing two with Darius and a couple hour period and turned out pretty sick. And I just I love doing it like that. And then yeah. with High Valley, we take these riding trips and yeah. um it's a little different because we block off three and four days to work right. six or seven hours each right. day on that. And I, I love that end of it as well. Yeah. And I'd say that's probably a rarity for it is for most artists. And even sure. for, for, for High Valley, now that they've gotten signed and singles going crazy, their time has shrunken, you know? Oh, God. Brad, <laughs> I mean, dude, Brad, so. I actually wore this really ridiculously low V-neck <laughs> in honor of Brad from High Valley. Um <laughs> Yeah, dude, Rimple, dude, he's never home, man. It's like, dude, they're blowing up so huge. And by the way, Seth, that record is so sick, man. This is the stuff I've heard off it is freaking amazing. Get my low V-neck I in mean, there. I'm Instagramming like Instagram your of, V-neck uh, as we are doing this podcast. So. All right? This is like Rimple low right here. I love that. 
Thanks, man. Thanks for getting that. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I, th- I think, man, you know, with our business changing so much, it's like we're all like, when I say scrambling, I'm not scrambling. I just, we have to like figure out different ways to make money. So it means touring a lot more for artists. And for us as, as writers, it means singles, you know? I mean, album cuts are really, really cool, but in reality, they're not really going to make us any money, yeah. you know? I mean, they'll go back to our recoup with our publishers, but we have to have those singles out. And the artists have to have big singles to be able to draw a crowd to tour, so. Sure. So talk a little bit about that, because that's always a little bit of a, uh, I don't know what you call it, black magic or something, but how do you land, how do you land the single versus just getting the album cuts? Man, I was hoping you'd tell like me a whole, that. That's like a whole class right there. Man, gosh, man, I'm probably, I let stuff go, man, honestly. For me, I don't know how to get singles. I mean, mm. the singles we have right right now is just a blessing, and God's good, and I look at it as little miracles because it's yeah. so hard, man. If there's interworking politics that happens to get singles, I don't know how to do it. I'm not sure if I did, I'd want to be a part of it. I don't want ever a song of mine to be a single if it's not the best song on the record. Mm. And I've understood on stuff like, if man, I've heard other songs or records I've been on. I was like, man, Jason Aldean, Flyover States. I was like, I get why. I love I Ain't Ready to Quit, which is my song on there. But I hear Flyover States, and I'm like, all right, I get that. I get why that's a huge single. You know what I mean? But man, honestly, I think the only way to to do it is, I mean, once you get the cut, is just be thankful, thank God. And this man, I've always just, not that I'm the greatest Christian in the world, but I have really tried to pray and say, all right, God, if I need this single, if my family needs a single, I know you'll give it to me. And if I yeah. don't need it, then I don't need it. And this has been a blessing right here. And I was actually reading a devotional this morning. I think, man, as, as Christians, man, it's like we always, and I find myself this all the time, like I always think, okay, God's preparing me for this big, massive platform and, and, and this, and that'll probably, that equals me needing to be successful in music. And man, it's like, it hits me all the time. I read my utmost for his highest. And I'm yeah. like, crud, I read it all the time. It's like, God, God's, God's not interested. His plan for us is not, success is not his end goal for us Mm. relationship and whatever his kingdom plan is is end goal for us Mm. and so for us as writers if we are successful there is some worldly success tied in with that so it's kind of hard when i read those devotionals but i realize i'm like all right god you're going to take care of me no matter what if that means this is an album cut if that means a single if it's not it's like i just gotta i just want to trust you and that that gives me peace you know that gives me peace in the midst of these storms because we all want the single man i mean i mean there's two records that we're on right now that we're in the running for singles and I just try to push it to the side, man, because I really do think, man, for all of us, man, is like if if we need it, God's gonna give it to us. Yeah. And if somebody else needs it, God's gonna give it to them. So much of it is just out of the control of what writers can do. Man, for me, and I can only speak for me, when I'm done writing and producing the song or writing and someone else produced the song, once it's out of my hands, I, it, dude, it's out of my hands. Yeah. There's, I mean, I can all the fretting and texting back and forth. Your writers are like, "Man, we can do the single." It, it does no good. Yeah. I mean, literally does no. You're good. literally just wasting time. You're wasting time, yeah. and you're getting, you're stirring up emotions, and that's the stuff we talked about earlier. Is like you can get caught up in this spiral of like, you know, of well, if it's going to be this song on the record, and you can start getting into like envy and coveting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a dangerous little circle, man. Yeah. In our business, as much as we can write and let it go to the point of like of like, okay, God, I trust you. Obviously, you may need to ring about up your publisher. If you have an opportunity to pitch it, pitch it. But, man, you can't force a song down somebody's throat. Yeah. And nothing reeks worse than desperation. Mm. You know what I mean? That's good. Just play it cool, let it go, and see what happens. Yeah. And if it's a great song, it'll get cut, and it'll be a single sometimes. Yeah. yeah. 
they, they sometimes I sometimes like that. not. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that makes me think. I mean, there that's got to be a moment the first time you do hear one of your songs on the radio. Oh, it's crazy, man. Because after all of this roller coaster of up and down, and is this song going to make it? Is this song going to be a single? What What is that like? Do you remember where you were the first time you heard your song on the radio? Man, honestly, if it's like the first time I heard like a legit major label top 40 single, dude, that's just recently. I mean, I've had a handful of cuts and on major label artists, and I got to hear my single when I was doing the artist thing on radio, and that was cool. But it was it was, it was was different. Like hearing your first like major label country act sing your single on the radio on the top 40 countdown is amazing and dude honestly my first time with that was with high valley's make you mine yeah and that was recent man it's like so even the stuff i've had cut like with you know aldine and the other parmley cuts and like the swan brothers care underwood thing those were all record cuts which is so cool and i'm so grateful but the singles man have just started recently man yeah. and it's awesome i mean it's crazy dude. we heard our I remember the first time I heard High Valley on the record, man. I about ran off the road. Because, um, I mean, I, I love those guys. And Brad, no, talk about another guy that's been doing it for almost, what, Brad's only, what, 30? Yeah. He's been doing it since he was 11 or 12. And when some people say that, they've been doing talent shows and stuff. Like, Brad and Curtis have, like, been on the road in other countries doing High Valley since they were, like, I guess preteen or whatever that whatever years those are yeah, yeah. and for him too it's like man it's like they look at those guys and people have never heard of them until all of a sudden now they're this emerging u.s act they don't know the other years they put into it but mm. not to stray from the question it's amazing and i love it and our new i've got to hear some of the current singles a bunch this week and it never gets old yeah and seeing yeah. your kids in the back seat singing along to one of your songs is cool i will say my ronnie dunn song the title of it I'm not sure if I say the title of it on your on your podcast. This is a Christian show, um, <laughs> but no, I'm kidding around. The, the, it's an all ages, all audiences. Show. Okay, well I said so. We've got a song on Ronnie's record, and it's his new single. It came out last week. It's called "Damn Drunk." Yeah, it's actually a love song. So I hope I don't yeah. offend anybody. The hook is, "If you were whiskey girl, I'd be a damn drunk," and it's literally awesome. the whole song. It's not a. It's not this tongue and cheeky song. It's a serious love song. And Ronnie Dunn is probably the greatest voice in country music that I'm aware of. Wow. Past and present. He's just amazing and sings the fire of the song with conviction. Yeah. That being said, yeah. with my little four-year-old and six-year-old in the backseat singing the song, <laughs> I had to teach them when I when I was working on the demo. I was like, guys, when this hook comes around, y'all can say darn drunk. Because I was like, I know it. I was like, because I do not want y'all going into church or school and saying this. And so, man, honestly... And I hope this isn't theologically wrong. As a Christian, I really don't have a problem with that. I'm yeah. just going to be 100% honest. Yeah. That's real life, man. Yeah. And yeah. you can get uptight about this and that. And in, in its context, I love that hook. I love that song. I love what it means. And yeah. hopefully, I hope I don't if anybody, but if I do, you know, I still stand behind the song, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, great, I, don't, but I don't want my kids, my kids saying the hook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's pretty awesome. My my daughter has just now gotten to the age, she's almost two, and she can recite lyrics from songs. And mm -hmm. She's had this one song that we produced for another band that was a single, and she's obsessed with it right now. And she will not stop singing it. Like she, And that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. So she, like, every night before we go to bed, every morning when we wake up, sing that song, sing that song. It's awesome. So, so that's... To me, I don't know if you can relate with this, but that was almost cooler than hearing my song on the radio for the first time. It is, man. I mean, I was literally 
so for that Ronnie single, just because this is recent, this was like a week old. Yeah. So like the music video, my wife put it on her uh, laptop or Mac, whatever it was the other night. And my little girl out in the middle of our kitchen wanted to dance to that song. Because yeah. it's, like I said, it's a love song. And dude, yeah. it was like dancing to my little four-year-old girl while a song I was a part of co-writing while the videos, music videos playing in the background. It was a surreal moment. Yeah. It was more surreal because I was like, it just being there and have that moment with my little girl yeah. and her knowing the lyrics to the song. And it's yeah. just, it's weird, cool, man. Cause yeah. Yeah. seeing your kids be a part of it and they don't really realize what's going on. It's just, it's like bigger payoff than almost than the other thing, than the single, you sure. know? Yeah, no, that's, I can totally relate to that. It's, I'm, I'm uh, trying to be tough, but in those moments I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Tear and waterworks. Oh, yeah, man. Dude, being a dad, man, makes us so sappy, man. Have you noticed that? Oh, totally. I wouldn't have cried until I had kids, dude. Yeah. You, you, if you catch the news, if you're bringing a soldier home to surprise his yeah. kid, man, I'm just like, yeah. waterworks, man. Because I'm just like, yeah. man, as a dad, what those guys do and yeah. and then the surprise on their kid's face. But, man, I swear it's being a dad just makes us so emotional man and that era, I, I think i had to go get my testosterone levels checked recently i was like why why am i so emotional doctor i was good though thank the lord the symptoms yeah well yeah it's been an awesome conversation i'd love to just kind of end up because you've had a pretty awesome epic story getting to where you're at tons of hard work i love that it's from one obsession to another obsession yeah that's that, kind of what i've heard in in this story is is the stunt thing and then that was an obsession and it sounds like music is still that for i think you. you have to be obsessed man i mean i'm literally obsessed with music i mean like i couldn't sleep monday morning 2 30 i woke up and i woke up because i really wanted to put strings on this demo i'm working on and literally my i live 45 minutes from nashville my office is in downtown nashville on, on music row and i got up got out of bed at 2 30 and i was at my office by close to four programming cello on a demo and it's like man i think it's a good thing when it when you love it so much that it wakes you up at night and you can't go back to sleep because you really want to do a part on a song yeah <laughs> i think that's how you know you're hooked man yeah <laughs> but i think that's what it takes man it's like man honestly i think anything in life man any business if you do the bare minimum and just show up for whatever the hours you're supposed to show up and then think you're just going to go home and be done with it for the night and I don't think you're going to be successful. At least, and I, I, let me rephrase that. I couldn't be successful that way. Mm. And dude, I'm still, God's been so good for the stuff we have going on right now. But man, you know how it is, man. It's like, I'm st in my mind, I'm still fighting to be successful. Mm. And and I tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, I really want to be successful at this. She's like, are you crazy? Look what's happening. And it's like, yeah, but in my mind, I'm not there. You know what yeah. I mean? But I don't think that's a bad thing. Because yeah. I feel like if I felt like I was there, I'd get complacent. Yeah. I'm very well aware of how many talented people are in town. And we get to write with it coming from LA. And it always makes me want to up my game, yeah. which increases my obsession. Yeah. So you kind of answered this just by saying that, which is an awesome way to tie up the interview. But what it takes to be a successful songwriter, commercial songwriter nowadays, sounds like just complete and total obsession. It does, man. I mean, for me, it's just persistence and obsession. And then, man, a lot of opportunities that happen, you may not see it in the moment, but man, if you're supposed to be on the books with somebody to write that day, take that right and do it because you never know either what you're going to write that day 
And I'll give an example of that in a second. Or you never know two years down the road what that day and that relationship is going to lead to. Hmm. A couple quick examples of that. Um, there's a guy named David Fanning. David Fanning is Parmalee's producer with New Voices and also like Thompson Square and did Lindsay L stuff. And just fabulous producer, fabulous artist. I wrote with him three years ago. He's like, hey, there's this band Parmalee. I want you to write with them. And I just met David. So I took this right. And I think I, I think I had to move another right to do it. But I felt like I was supposed to do that. Okay, fast. Almost, actually, almost four years ago, wrote this, yeah, and I remember that for, day thanks thinking, for, "Oh, thanks for bumping my right that day." Yeah, you're welcome, husband. That <laughs> I remember. Th- I remember thinking that day. I was like, "Oh, we wrote a cool song." Okay, literally, dude, that song, "Staring on the Barrel." I swear, it's four years ago. That's just now on their brand new record. Didn't wasn't on the last record, but is out on the new record coming out. Okay, had I not taken that right that day. I wouldn't have built that relationship with David. Fast forward two years, David asked me about a month and a half ago, I was like, hey man, would you have any interest in co-producing my new record? And I was like flipping out because I'm a fan of Fanning. I'm a fan of his artist work and I love his production. So that opportunity came around. David and I spent about a month and a half in the studio. We just finished the record, hit Spotify later this month and it's pretty dope. I love it. I'm super stoked. So cool. Taking those opportunities and nurturing those relationships, man, just show up and do your thing that day. Yeah. Our Roots single, Parmley single, yeah. I remember that day I was working on another EP and I told my co-writer, I was like, man, I was like, I kind of hope our third doesn't show up today just because I really felt like we need to work on some production stuff. Well, praise the Lord, our third, Jared Mullen, showed up and within a few hours had written Roots. Within a week, it was on hold and they cut it and put it on their new single. So you just never know, man. Wow. Be persistent do more than's expected, outwork the other dude, and show up for your rides. I love it, man. It's good stuff. It's Ben <laughs> Stennis in the house. Dude, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being had. Yes, sir. That's probably a horrible way to say that. <laughs> yes. <but> what a <laughs> terrible ending to the show, to a great show. Thank I'm you for kidding. being here. Dude, thanks, brother. <laughs> this has been the Full Circle Music Show. This was Ben Stennis on the show. Seth Mosley, Full Circle Music Show, is produced by Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jericho Scroggins. If you haven't already, head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review. And to find out more info on our Music Production Mastery course, text the word PRODUCE, P-R-O-D-U-C-E, to 44222. We'll see you next week.